Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Well, welcome back, everybody. Every once in a while, we like to highlight those that have given a lot of their lives to make other lives better. And this time, it's somebody who's given many years in the education world to shape children in terms of music. And I do believe also mathematics, but I'm going to get a a clearer read on that in just a couple of minutes. She is our education diamond of the decade. Sharon Radishaw joins us today on the program. Hi, Sharon. How are you? Hi. Oh, I'm just doing fine. Ah, Wonderful to have you here and congratulations on many long years. I I have you here noted as a vocal music and drama teacher at one point in your career. That is correct. Okay. What about math? Was that also included? Yes, I also taught math in middle school. Um, It was, I started out doing um, general math for for students that got behind. You know, when you get a student in the, maybe the sixth grade or eighth grade, and they still don't know their multiplication tables, you know, that's pretty bad. You have to work with them individually. But I start with that. And then I also taught general math and pre-algebra and algebra wow. in middle school So I, I'm to do- prepare for high school. I'm honestly the worst person at math, but I'll try, I'll try and put it together here. Are we talking almost 60, 60 years of, of teaching and, and education here? Uh, 44 years. 44 years I, I was in the classroom. Wow. So career-wise, yeah. in general, did you do something before you became an educator? Well, before I became an educator, I was uh, in, at the university studying, and uh, I had, after I finished my bachelor's degree in 1959, I uh, got married a month later. And I, I waited to get married until I got my bachelor's degree. And my husband was still in college at Michigan State University. And so we lived at married housing there. And so I started teaching right away because uh, he had the GI Bill to help us, but he wasn't working. He was going to school. And so I, you know, I made $4,000 a month, uh, a year, a year, not a month, a year, my first year of teaching in Michigan. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, and I I drove 250 miles a week to 10 little one-room country schools and uh, two schools in town of Mason, Michigan, which was the county seat at the time. What what pushed you in the direction of music and drama? Well, I've always had music in my life. It's always been in our home. Um, my my grandfather and other people in our family were musical. I started dancing at the age of probably three and a half or four, doing tap dancing, and we were always singing in the house. And um, so that the singing, I I learned all of Shirley Temple's routines, the songs and the dances, and I did them in Detroit. In some shows, I, I danced at four years old for the USO shows between four and five in Detroit for soldiers that were on leave. And uh, I just, 
it was something I took piano lessons, and I just went from there. And then when I went into school, junior high and high school, I ha- happened to have the same music teacher. And so she she did um, both levels at the time. And so I was with her a long time, and she really helped to teach me how to do things vocally. And I decided I wanted to be a music teacher, and I got um, some scholarships from the Department of Education in Michigan, and so I was very fortunate to have this um, because I had four or three other siblings at home. There were four of us kids, and my mom and dad. My dad worked hard as an engineer, but he also worked on the weekends as a butcher in a store to get money to for four, um, you know, children to go to college. So it was it was hard, you know, for them. But of course, it was at different times. But that still, I started out um, going to college, and I wanted to become a teacher and. My father came from Europe um, when he was 10 years old from Germany. And so I'm the first generation immigrant, or not a child of immigrants. And um, so the first one in the family to go to college. He went to school later on, but he didn't get a degree. He was an engineer, and he did very well with that. But he always supported, and the family always supported whatever I did, and my grandparents were there, and they were very proud of my accomplishments, and I I sang sometimes with the Detroit Symphony Orchestra at Belle Isle in the summers at their pavilion there, and then when I was in university level, I did uh, theater work and doing the drama, because I minored in drama, so I was in the musicals, in opera, and then um, Eastern Michigan University is only nine miles from Ann Arbor, where the University of Michigan is, and they asked me to come over there with the to perform and do the opera and um, have it for educational uses and make a documentary with with that. And so that was was always it was always performance for me. And that gave me a lot of satisfaction and a lot of encouragement to do more. And while I was in the first year of college or the last year of high school, I sang at a radio station every Sunday evening. And my grandpa would sit in his living room and listen to the radio and, you know, cry a little bit. And he was so proud. And he said, that's my granddaughter. He he came from um, Russia, but it was uh, actually Ukraine, which was uh, Russian-controlled at that time. And he could speak seven different languages, so he was very, very good at doing that. And one of my daughters um, got his skills in that, and she she's a linguist. She can speak many languages now, too, and she's working in... San Francisco in in the uh, industry of uh, investments, money investments, and that in making good use of her 
your skills. So nice. What what, a, what an amazing story. And I want to, you talked about the productions. I know that you were a, you had some roles. You were also renowned as a, a local director in a number of shows. Uh, tell me yes. about Carnegie Hall. Didn't you sing there? Yes, yes. Um, I was, um, I, well, I went, before I went to Carnegie Hall, I sang at Michigan State with um, Robert Shaw. His, he was there as a guest conductor two summers, so I sang in his summer chorale, and he's the director of Atlant- at Atlanta Symphony. And I heard that he was coming to Los Angeles to perform uh, with the Los Angeles uh, Philharmonic Orchestra and do a Bach festival the entire summer, and he needed singers. And when I went and contacted him to audition for that, he already knew me, of course, and I became a singer to sing all summer long at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles doing the Bach Festival with the Los Angeles Symphony. And because of that, I had background of doing that, and I heard that uh, they were having a guest conductor in New York uh, with the New York Symphony, and it was John Rudder, who is from Cambridge University in England, and he was coming to do some work there, and they were going to go to uh, on tour, a group to go on tour, and we were going to rehearse online, and so he called it the, the world's first cyber chorus because we rehearsed a lot of that online. And when we got together to to rehearse before a performance, we maybe had two rehearsals together, you know, so we had to really know our things and almost have it memorized. And we were supposed to go to uh, Prague at, at sing at the Opera House at Prague and also on top of the Acropolis in uh, Greece, in Athens, Greece. And because of the Kosovo War, that had to be canceled. And so uh, I was disappointed, and I think I told you before about my husband decided he'd take me to Greece so I could go at the Acropolis and stand there and sing. Myself, I did. But he had me go to New York and sing with a group that was performing uh, over Thanksgiving weekend, and we did the entire Messiah, um, the whole book. And so... It was exciting to step onto the stage at Carnegie Hall, mm. and I stood in the second row, row and um, when I walked on stage, I had friends from um, Fulbright experiences, and I've had uh, three Fulbright grants, and people I met from different places who happened to be in New York at the time, they were in the balcony cheering me on. And so that was that was a great deal of fun to do that, and uh, at the whole Thanksgiving weekend to sing that in New York City at Carnegie Hall. It was really a thrill and one of the highlights of my career. Oh wow! Yeah, I can imagine. Not too many people can say that. Uh, let's let's go back to your teaching career for a minute. Okay. Uh, it's always a challenge when students aren't uh, performing or or listening to direction. How did you handle discipline in your class? <laughs> well, I did, I did um, the best I could. You know, I, you, you can't, I, let, me, let me back up a minute. Most of my time, 28 years, I was in a middle school at Los Angeles Unified School District. 
and it was challenging uh, because of the age, 12, 13, 14-year-olds. And for a while, we had 15-year-olds in there because we had ninth grade when I first started, and then they they put ninth grade with high school, and so they just had six, seven, eight, and they called it middle school. And with all their raging hormones and all the things uh, going on with, with learning, um, it was a challenge. But I had had something a little different to to offer to them because I was offering them music. And I wanted them to experience it themselves and learn it and really feel the music inside of them to to learn about it. And they gave me a lot of classes with children that were not doing well in other other areas of the school. But they thought maybe I could motivate them. And I had to get them excited about music and what they were doing. And I wanted them to be able to, everyone to become engaged in my class and be active in it. But I didn't have a budget to work with to, to have, and a lot of equipment. I did have um, a grand piano and an organ in my classroom, and then in the storage room I had a little, another little electronic organ. And so on Fridays I would give them piano lessons so everyone would learn to play piano, and we'd have two at each keyboard, and, and the ones that didn't have a keyboard to play with sound, they had a cardboard keyboard to go with their fingers. And then I, I would teach them certain things on that, and then they, I would test each one individually at, at the real piano. So they got an idea about that. And I taught them, uh, the, they learned to read the notes, so I taught them the walking bass, which is from Boogie Woogie, a little bass line. And then the ones that really excelled on that, I taught them some basic chords, the one, four, five chords in music, which is the basis for a lot of the songs, the main four chords of a key. I taught them that, and they took turns at the piano, and I would test them, and we would do it together. And then I put on the, um, a record on the record player, and we listened to it first, and then we added the walking bass on the, the pianos and the chords, and I used, um, oh, some boogie-woogie sounds and playing along with with uh, some famous performers. They really liked that. They felt like they were accomplishing something and they were contributing. They all were doing something. And then, of course, I think I told you before about my <laughs> world's fa- largest chopstick collection, it's like I seriously, had, I was going to ask you about that. Like, yeah, when I, yeah, when I, 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 I just want to tell you when I heard cho- chopsticks, music, right? I was thinking about the song chopsticks, but no, you're talking about no, real chopsticks. I'm talking about chopsticks because you know they didn't have. I didn't have a lot of uh, in, like instruments to put in their hands, and I wanted, I wanted them to do it. And sometimes I would have the students as an assignment make an instrument that they can play. And then they had their homemade instruments. And I showed them how to make some drums and some, some percussion instruments. And, um, but we started out with the chopsticks. And 
I didn't have very many to begin with, and and I went around to some Chinese restaurants and Asian restaurants that used chopsticks, and I asked if they had any spare new chopsticks, and I told them what I wanted it for a project in music class, and they donated them to me, so everybody had chopsticks. And I gave the rules that um, we're going to hit them together, and it's a very quiet but a nice, beautiful sound. But then after we learn to play certain figures, musical figures, then they could um, play it, they could hit the desk when at certain places, and that gave a much louder sound. They could hit their shoe. They could not hit each other. And they always, they knew that, and uh, they didn't go wild about, you know, poking each other right. with that. If they did, I, I would. they couldn't play the chopsticks. They had to go stand over at the back of the room, where, which I called Siberia, and, and they would stand there, and they didn't get a chance to participate with everybody. So they, they first learned to see the notes. I would have them written out on the board or on um, the screen. And then they learned to play the notes tapping the chopsticks together, and we'd all do it together. And then they would practice. And finally, when they knew the pattern well, they played it with recorded music. And it, and uh, we would have, before they did it with the recording, um, I would have different patterns played at the same time. I'd divide the group into parts, two or three parts, and they'd play it all together, only different patterns, so they could hear how how music fits together. And another thing um, that I found out was that in Los Angeles, the students are from all over the world, you know, or their parents are, different backgrounds and different cultures. And I had in my classrooms... Um, I have students from 43 different countries in the world. And I asked them about the, the music in the countries where their, their parents or their grandparents came from. You know, they, were, they came as immigrants, and I told them that, you know, my father was an immigrant too, and my grandparents were immigrants too. And so, but they didn't know much about the culture, the music, where they came from. And um, I would get music from their own country so mm. they could learn about culture from their, their background. And the parents were so surprised, and they really appreciated that. And so we tried to like include that in recorded music and listen to it. And after they could play their chopsticks and their other instruments that were homemade, and after many... Uh, sessions of practice on the board or poster and it was time to show off and play for somebody because that's that's will give you encouragement and make you feel proud of yourself for accomplishing this and some had never done that so this was just a classroom but they needed to show off and show off their success and um so they played, I invited other classes to come in. I invited at different times some elementary school classes 
that lived within walk or were they went to class in um, within walking distance of our school. There was an elementary school, and it was a couple blocks away, and they could walk over to our school for for a class. And they'd they'd uh, sit in the classroom. All this happened in the classroom, and they'd play in class solo. And they'd share with the other classes, um, and one time I remember I had a class that was really, really good, and we invited the parents. I said, we're going to have a recital. They didn't even know what a recital was, but it's going to be in the classroom, not in the auditorium on the stage, in the classroom, and, and uh, we're going to invite parents to come if they can get off work for an hour to come and listen, and you can play you know, for the parents. And so that happened. And the parents, some came by bus, you know, in the middle of the day. They took off work to come and hear it. And by that time, I had already decided some of them were so interested in guitar. And I played a little guitar. I had an own, my own guitar. And um, I said, okay, we can add that to uh, some of our sessions. And if they had an old guitar at home, bring it over. And I will ask around in the district, other schools, if look around and see if you have any old guitar instruments or stringed instruments like guitar or ukulele, something like that. And that was broken and, and they didn't use. And um, I had a relative, a distant relative, that had a music store in Los Angeles area. And they fixed the guitars for me so the kids could play them. Wow. And I, I had enough to, to take turns to go around, and they could play. And so we included some guitar songs in our recital. But also, when uh, they were playing guitar, I said, you, know, you want a melody. I'm teaching you how to do the chords and things like that, so you're going to sing the melody. And with a changing voice, that could be a problem with students, especially the boys with their changing voice. They don't want to even open their mouth, many of them. But I encouraged all of them. I'd have two or three come up to the piano, and I'd have them sing together. And as they're singing together, two or three or more, I mean, I could hear ten of them. If they sang together, I could hear each one individually what they were doing. And they felt secure having someone next to them doing the same thing. And they got so excited that most of them could match tones and they didn't sing tones. And because of what we kept doing around the piano individually. And while they were doing that, I had students at, on their desk doing some, maybe writing some of their notes down that we were going to play and sing. And so we would all work on that and then we'd have them perform for visiting elementary classes and parent recitals. Just amazing. You know, your career, many music teachers can't say that they performed on stage, especially with a unique performance like you did at Carnegie Hall. Uh, we're, We're just about out of time. I gotta tell you, wonderful talking with you, Sharon. Really, just you know, congratulations. Oh, thank you. What? A, what? Thank a, you. It's 
it's wonderful to 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 have done this. I lo- I love it and I still love it. And um I'm proud of my work. I every now and then I do hear from some of my past students. A few of them have gone on to do things professionally. Wow. Which makes me very yeah. Very proud. Well, you know, that I was going to, we're out of time, but I was even going to talk about, you know, the mark that you leave on, on students. Just amazing. Uh, thank you so much for being here today and congratulations on 40 something plus years of, of educating in so many different areas and, and your performances and career had lots of questions. I didn't even get to them. Um, but uh, I, w- I would like to maybe someday circle back and, and congratulate you also on being our education diamond of the decade. Thanks for being here, Sharon. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you. I, and be well, and, right. uh, and maybe we'll talk again soon, okay? All right. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from the business capital of the world, this is the Podcast Business News Network. Adopt US Kids presents Multiple Choice Parenting. Your daughter just had her first breakup. Do you A, put yourself in her shoes? How could he do this to you? And for Sheila, she, she has split ends. B, console her. Oh, sweetie, this is going to happen a lot. Four, maybe five more times before you get married. C, take charge. Got to get this all straightened out. Keep a little talking to, man to man, mano a mano. Hey, Steve. Is now a good time? No? Okay, no problem. Bye. Or D, help her find a new boyfriend. I know a great place to meet boys. The internet. Nice, single boys. Never mind. How about some ice cream? As a parent, there are no perfect answers. But you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. Thousands of teens in foster care will love you just the same. For more information on how you can adopt, visit AdoptUSKids.org. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council.